Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone, this is Mary Woods and um, I'm hoping you're having a very warm Monday. It's quite chilly here in New Hampshire. Um, We have a very interesting show today. We're going to be talking about... um, our families and a relationship with our roots and the importance of families in terms of healing. And our guest today is Ann Salter, who is a licensed clinical social worker, a marriage and family therapist, and she's been working with families and adult individuals and couples and conducting workshops, retreats, and groups for 30 years. Her focus has always been on emotional healing of the self. She specializes in relationship work using family of origin therapy and experiential techniques such as psychodrama, gestalt, and family of origin sculpting. She has studied family and group work from many masters, including Virginia Satir, Sharon Wexler-Cruz, and John Heider. Ann Salter is also an addiction specialist certified by John Hopkins University in 1978. She has taught addiction courses at Berry University, presented addiction seminars around the United States, and has worked as a consultant to area treatment centers, conducting training for other therapists. She is a certified sex addiction therapist after undergoing training under Patrick Carnes, Ph.D. Welcome into our show. Hi, thank you. I'm looking um, forward so to this. You've been working with families for a long time. Yes, a long time, and it's always been my interest, and uh, I've also been working with addictions for a long time, most likely because I've dealt with it myself and uh, my whole family. Um, well, so. You know, family treatment used to be very prevalent in the 80s, and um, we seem to have gotten away from it a bit. And I think uh, that's a great detriment to a lot of our folks that, that have addictive disorders. Yes. Uh, in fact, I'm always encouraging all the treatment centers to have at least a week-long family treatment, which not all of them do. Um, but the, the treatment centers that I send people to, for sure, do family treatment. Why, uh, why are families important to treatment? Because they are, of course, either they can be the support, but they've usually been the enablers. Um, not meaning to, uh, they've enabled the addiction. They don't understand this. They need education on how the disease works, the, di- the disease of addiction. And of course, in so many cases, if it's a young person, um, they've tried to buy them off. You know, if you'll just stop using, I'll buy you this or that. Uh, and sometimes these children, so to speak, are 
grown men and women in their 30s. And it's, um, they need a lot of education and encouragement to, to set boundaries, which is a big thing in dysfunctional families anyway, the whole issue of boundaries. Well, and we're also talking in many instances of a third or fourth generation um, alcoholism or drug abuse. Yes, yes, it's, um, we, it does get handed down. We believe genetically uh, and behaviorally, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, in all kinds of, in all of our being, it gets um, handed down, and sometimes it skips a generation at least um, so it seems. But when you're able, when you know how to look closely, you're going to find um, addictive behaviors, dysfunctional behaviors that are real related to um, alcoholism and addiction that's been coming throughout the family for many years. What would some of those behaviors look like? Uh, raging. Uh, uh, out-of-control anger, which is what raging is, or a lot of anger, because uh, let's say your parents didn't drink or anything, but one of them was a rager or they fought a lot, uh, and one or both of them had a parent themselves who was alcoholic, and from that they take what we often, they often call in the program isms. They, uh, they're still carrying all that baggage and all the hurt and the baggage, and it still comes out even though they don't use drugs to medicate it. But very often they use some other thing or else they become a very stoic, closed family. They often use religion. That's one of the, which we call in the field, uh, religiosity, which for many of us who work in the field, we consider an addiction. Can you explain more about that? Yes, that's a chapter in my book that I really think is very important. The dynamics of a um, dysfunctional family are all found in the fundamentalist religions. Um, they, uh, they mirror the dynamics. Um, I'm looking to see which chapter that is. <laughs> um, chapter 8. Chapter 8. Good for you. <laughs> okay. Um, because I really wanted to fully um, be able to talk about it. These dynamics in a dysfunctional family, which you will find also in the early chapters of my book, which actually goes over all kinds of dysfunctional dynamics, um, you will find these in... Um, relationship with religion in the fundamentalist religion, whatever religion it is, whether it's Christian or Jewish or Muslim, uh, you'll find these dynamics, which are their closed system with no room for discord or differences of opinion. They separate their members from the world at large and control what they are allowed to see, experience, and learn. Um, the, meaning the children, they have rigid teachings of right and wrong and are perfection, perfectionists about what their members need to accomplish to gain God's approval. Their leaders, like some parents, often do not practice what they preach, which is a crazy-making behavior. You know, seeing 
your parent um, preach one thing and behave the opposite or another way is one of the things we call crazy-making because a little child is very confused by that. They often use fear and shame or manipulative communication as weapons to control people, such as you will go to hell if you deviate from our teachings or you are always sinful. And that's a very shaming message, you are always sinful. And, of course, in a dysfunctional family, verbal abuse, the parents, uh, when they verbally abuse, they are shaming the children. And one of the deepest injuries that we suffer in dysfunctional families is a lot of shame underneath the exterior. And that's the hardest thing often to um, heal, especially with sex addiction. Um, But the religious thing adds on top of whatever family you come from, if they are like the fundamentalist religion, if they are rigid and closed and they're always right and you're always wrong, uh, the religion then just adds on to that in more shaming, uh, more rigidity, um, and it's very hurtful. And so people grow up sometimes with a relationship with religion, which is um, shaming for them, which blocks them from other relationships, because if it's real rigid and such as uh, a religion like Jehovah's Witness, which you're only allowed limited contact with anybody of any other religion, um, or you are... um, What's the word? You're shamed out of the shunned out of the family if you go outside of it for your uh, relationship or marriage. Um, these are very shaming things, and but they're also full of fear. And fear is a huge thing with dysfunctional families, and it becomes a huge thing in your relationships if you experience a lot of fear and confusing uh, things. Uh, in your relationship with your parents and your siblings, then you're going to have a very damaged relationship with yourself, which means things like repeating negative messages, negative beliefs about yourself. Uh, sometimes you might only do it outwardly with humor, but inwardly one will do it constantly. Uh, put themselves down, have perfectionism, um, and some people give up, unfortunately, and others don't. And that may be a personality dynamic that we come in with, whether we're a fighter or a quitter, you know. And um, it's not a, it's it's reasonable that some people quit. It just really depends on basic personality. Um, okay, I'm going on and on. <laughs> That's okay because I think that when we when we think about um, families that are in the throes of of addiction, um, it's it's chaotic for families. I think people, um, children, as you say, they get a message: do as I do, do as I say now, not what I do, and that's very mm-hmm. confusing. Um, growing up in a family where you kind of circle the wagons and you know you don't let people know what's going on, but you know, so you, so you have the reality of your family, but then the 
the face you give to the outside world is different than what's going on in your family. So that's extremely stressful as well. Um, well, yeah, and an example of that is, is uh, and things like this are in my book, of a, a family where there's all kinds of, uh, of destructive behaviors and feelings going on, and yet they'll dress up and go out perhaps to church or somewhere like that, and they look like the perfect family. Um, and it's called, we call that looking good. You know, it's so important to look good. And in the meantime, everybody in the family is miserable, but that's not seen. Right. That's the game face is that we're, we're a functional family. We're, you know, we're, we get along. I, I, this comes to mind because this morning on, on the news I saw uh, a news report on John Edwards, and um, mm-hmm. and it showed like when he was running for president, and he and his wife, and and all the time that they appeared to be like a great couple with a wonderful family, he was involved with this other woman, and he had a, and was having a child with this other woman, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I don't know, this just seems like a good example of what you're talking about. Yes, and you know, secrets are. There's been a saying in the twelve um, <clears throat> step programs particularly Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, that you're as sick as your secrets. And we believe that, and I believe that, the only good kind of secret is if you're going to have a surprise birthday party for somebody. Or you're planning or your something. Weight. <laughs> yeah. Or your Other, weight. Your weight's a good secret. <laughs> your weight? Yeah. How much you weigh is a good secret. Oh, oh, well, that's harder to hide. <laughs> yeah, but you still don't have to put it out there. Um, we'll be right back after this commercial to talk more with Anne about um, families and our, our relationship legacy. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. There are a number of health and social services available to individuals for low cost or no cost. Now there's a radio program devoted to bringing you the information you need. Tune in to Outreach Today with host Melissa Jenkins-Simon. Our program promotes the benefits and services of CI Incorporated, providing health and social services over a wide spectrum of resources and agencies. We want to help you. Tune in to Outreach Today, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. And our guest is Ann Salter, who is has a long history of working with individuals and families um, who are dealing with addictive disorders that includes uh, sex addiction. Um, and she's written a book called Family Stew, Our Relationship Legacy. And in our first segment, we were talking about um, a couple of different things about dysfunctional families and how some fa- some dysfunctional families are structured like a fundamentalist um, religion, and um, Anne shared with us how those uh, two things are similar. And before we went to break, we were talking about the power of secrets, and um, I kind of made a joke at the end about, you know, a good secret is your weight, but, you know, and you were saying that the only good secret is a surprise birthday party. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, if you're if you're working with a couple, that um, where sex addiction and promiscuity is, has been on um, one partner, do you think it's important for that partner to share every sexual episode or betrayal with the with their spouse? Absolutely not. In fact, that's very hurtful. But it is the compulsion. It is always a compulsion of the injured party, the one who whose spouse has had an affair uh, or maybe several affairs. But it is it is not a good thing to do, um, and in my work I work hard with them to try to get them not to do it. Uh, today, with um, internet and um, um, emails and all that stuff, there are so many ways for somebody to play detective themselves, and that's of course uh, what often happens is that that compulsion to check the other person's emails and uh, any kind of uh, information that they have put out there. Uh, it might be checking to see who's come in the gated community, uh, just all kinds of ways they can play detective. And all it does is just it astounds them, it makes the pain worse, and it makes the healing harder. And yet it is always what the spouse um, feels compulsed to do, and they'll even ask, you know. And of course, there's always that that subject of uh, somebody's had. Let's say a woman's had an affair. The man is going to feel like if they can even heal and get back together, uh, am I competing with this other man in performance? And well, the same thing for a woman. I mean, I'm not pretty enough for you, or I'm not sexy enough. And uh, sex addiction doesn't have anything to do with that at all. It's um, It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with somebody who's frightened of closeness, has learned probably as a young person to medicate their feelings uh, with sex, whether uh, doing it themselves or uh, however they may have done it. Sometimes it's by exposing themselves somewhere or peeping in keyholes. There's just all kinds of ways. In fact, 
I don't want to not mention that Patrick Carnes' books, such as Out of the Shadows and all the others he's written, are fantastic for people who are dealing with this. They, they identify it and they let people know that they're not the only one and how it comes to be and all that kind of thing. But absolutely trying to fill in all the details is, is very destructive. So in a family where uh, the predominant addiction is, is one of the sexual, in that case there are some secrets that are kept, right? Yes, yeah. They're kept, um, you know, there's, again, I'm bringing up the 12 steps quite a bit here, but there's, um, I don't know if you know much about it, but some of your listeners may, um, when a person goes through the 12 steps, at one point they do the step that's amends, making amends. And when they're making amends, the rules are you share, except, you, you know, you make amends except when it would hurt someone else. So like if, if I was in a long-term relationship with somebody and I'm, and I'm an alcoholic and then I, get into recovery and I'm making amends to my spouse to tell them um, 10 years ago I had a lot of affairs or if they're not ongoing now and it's not an issue, I'm only hurting them to tell them. And when people do that, they're really kind of trying to dump some of their guilt, um, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I think it's important that, um, you know, People do heal from addictive disorders, but mm-hmm. it's 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 the guidance they get along the way that I think really contributes to the depth of their healing. Absolutely, and the twelve steps still have so many people that would profit so much from therapy, which would mean looking at the family of origin, looking at the history, even the ancestors, where this comes from, because right away something like that. Uh, let you know it takes some of the shame away you know it's sort of like well I came by this naturally everybody in my family for three generations has had that and it's also genetic Um, but um, and the other thing is helping them look at traumas and wounds that were formed as children that um, they've been medicating with that whether it's alcohol and drugs or can be shopping, eating, uh, sexing, <laughs> gambling, just so many things. Smoking, uh, which we what? now know is, is a really terrible addiction disease. Right, right. But money, right. of course, right. keeps that from going anywhere as it does with alcohol. I mean, not that we can get rid of alcohol, but we could probably do a lot more if it wasn't so powerful with yeah. money. Um, in, in your book, um, Family Stew, you begin the book by talking about our relationship at birth and in the infancy. And could you share with our listeners um, kind of a summary of, of why you think that's important? Well, I, I think it's important because I think that most people don't realize from the time you're in the womb and on, you're affected by other relationships. And I, you know, I talk about in there my own with my mother and what kind of uh, situation and uh, mental state she was in 
when she was pregnant with me and when I was born and how that probably affected me. I mean, it had an effect on me. If, you know, uh, I think it had an effect on her. I know with my sister, she, my sister couldn't digest her milk. And I, you know, my mother was a very injured woman, very, uh, wounded woman. And so you start with that and then you look at the childhood and you look at, say, a mother who's very angry and controlling and, and as a child, as a little child, we are the most vulnerable. Um, I just heard someone yesterday, I think, say to a little child who uh, blurted out something that was true that, you know, we wouldn't properly do, probably like, uh, oh, you have funny hands or your lipstick smeared or something. And that person said, that's really great. Don't lose that honesty. So many, most people do. You know, they lose that um, ability to to be themselves. Uh, and because they're in a because it's scary because they get put down for it. Um, I saw. I have been known to stop someone in a store and tell them that they're destroying their child's self-esteem. <laughs> when I see somebody yelling at a little kid or expecting them to behave like they're 10 when they're 2, um, and sometimes I've had something like the other partner say, see, I told you, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure goes over really well. But, yeah. yeah, as babies, from the time we come in, we're affected by relationships. Um, I think I talked in the book about a film I saw a long time ago of a woman standing by the crib of a baby and smiling and sort of giggling, and the baby was waving its arms and smiling. And then the woman just went still. She didn't have a bad look on her face. She just went solemn. And after a little bit, the kids started really getting agitated and, you know, like confused, like agitated and, and clearly feeling not safe. And this is, you know, a baby that was probably five months old. Right. And nobody was doing anything bad to the baby. She wasn't yelling right. at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can only imagine as time goes on when the child gets yelled at or smacked those kinds of things, that it's very powerful. And people um, what grow about, up and say, ahead, I can't believe I hit my kids. I hated it when my parents hit, hit me, and I can't believe it. Well, that's how relationships pass on. And we do parent the way we're parented unless we look at it and do some work on ourselves. We do. And, and break the cycle. Yes, break the cycle. Um, what in your book you talk a lot about different types of relationships that we have with people and with things like money and um, the world. Uh, what what is the value of our relationship with our um, family of origin? Why is that so important for us? You mean as children or continuing as adults? As adults, when we're trying to heal or you know, well, for a lot of people, I mean, for a few people, and I don't believe there's 
well, I don't know, maybe it's just because I see the hurt people all the time, but for a few people, it's about there's a love and a connection there that's that's special. Uh, but for the people I deal with and for, I think, a lot of the world, it's about they still never got mother's love or they never got father's approval, and so they keep going back in, so to speak, or trying to go home to get that, which in most cases is never going to happen, and so keep, they keep getting re-injured in a sense. But there's that, that compulsion from, from the child within to try to have peace with parents, to, to have that love and approval. And, of course, what you see the self do is go out and pick, well, say you have a um, really critical father who's a perfectionist. You go out and you pick up, you go to work somewhere, and son of a gun, you've picked a boss who's very critical and, and perfectionistic. Yeah, we do tend to repeat our mistakes. Um, we'll be right back to talk more with Anne about our legacy with our uh, our relationships and, and recovery. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today. And our show today, we're talking about our relationship legacy with Ann Salter, who's written a book called Family Stew. And um, and we were talking about um, the importance of our family of origin. But as during the break, you were saying how important is our relationship is to ourselves. So could you share a little bit about why that's so important? Yes, because it, it means everything in terms of how we relate and who we pick uh, to, to be close to us, uh, 
what jobs we take, how much we achieve or don't, um, how we handle money. I mean, it just goes on and on. It just is our whole life, whatever my relationship with myself is. If my relationship with myself is full of negative messages and feelings, then I'm not going to uh, feel good about myself. And I'm inevitably going to pick um, someone who probably who won't be good to me. If I think I'm not a good person, then I'm not going to pick some healthy person who's going to nurture me and treasure me. Um, and if we want to have a, uh, the best, and of course this is another way of talking about self-esteem. And self-esteem comes from our early years and what we, look, we come to believe about ourselves. And our parents are just core in that. And then, of course, uh, religious leaders, any caretakers that um, are important in our life become part of what we feel about ourselves. Some of the most wounded children that I've seen or people... Um, that have survived have had what we call angels. In fact, Sharon Wakeshotter Cruz, I think, founded that term or first met, used that term. Uh, we have angels in our life. Let's say you're in a family that's really messed up, and you have, but you have an aunt who is really sweet and loving, and you're able to spend a lot of time with her, or a grandmother or a grandfather. Uh, that can make a big difference that you're not just getting negative input, but there is someone nurturing in your life. Um, and we will see how we think of ourselves, not only in terms of who we pick, but how we treat ourselves. Most, um, and I'm, I'm, a lot of the listeners probably have heard the expression adult children, and simply what that means is children who had to be adults when they were little, or try to be. Um, and most adult children don't take good care of themselves. They've either had a life of taking care of others, they became perhaps the um, caretaker of mother or father or trying to make the house okay, um, and they experienced that they didn't get taken care of. So then I don't take care of myself. And, and, you know, simpler things even. Uh, now, you'll see more of taking care of self in looking good stuff, like maybe how one wears their hair or they have their nails done or they drive a big car, have a big house. But I'm talking about taking care of the child in us, taking care of ourselves with nurturing things and only being with people that, nurture us or that are good for us and not hanging out in places where uh, it's hurtful or unpleasant. So. You know, um, as, as you're talking, I'm thinking about a couple of things that um, that come to mind for me. And um, one of the things that I, I was having a discussion with one of my coworkers, and um, we're both uh, middle-aged women, and we were talking about having kind of gone through the whole role change that um, in the 70s where when I was in high school, basically you had three choices. You could be a nurse, 
you could work in an office or you could be a teacher or you could get married. And and I became a nurse because of all those things. That was the thing that seemed to resonate the most for me. And and we were talking about that journey of, of you know, so many changes and 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 how both of us have become successful women, but we had we had mothers who who had their own identity. Um, we both of our mothers worked, but we also had very our fathers were very strong men who um, who taught us how to be strong women. And and I think that um, you know that's so important that in order to have a good sense of yourself, as you were saying, you have to feel like you're worth something. And and we were both saying how fortunate we felt that we had good fathers, you know that um, mm-hmm. that that was just so important to to us and to our success because working with men, I mean mm-hmm. it's still a man's world, and mm-hmm. you know having a father who who respected you as a person, who taught mm-hmm. you that you know you deserved to be respected and to not settle for anything less is sometimes the only thing that kept us going. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, having that that one parent better than anything, or someone in your life that yeah. respects you, and you know, a caretaker that respects you and models for you. That's the other thing, the modeling for you. You know, you could have had a father who says you can do anything you want, but then his behavior was treating you like you weren't capable of anything. Right. So, but right. you apparently had a father who was congruent in that way of right. modeling and encouraging you. Now, my right. father was a self-made man from poverty, and I, I know that that had, with all of the impacts that I had that weren't very great, I know that had a good impact on me because I was able to be in business and to use things from that in terms of running my own treatment, my own um, center, uh of uh, psychotherapy and, um, you know, relationships with people, all kinds of things. And a lot of therapists are very afraid of that. You know, they, they can, they're good therapists, but they can't do the business end of it or, mm-hmm. you know, run a business. So mm-hmm. I feel grateful to my father for that, too. <laughs> you know, when you're talking about how important the relationship to self is, when we think about all the addictive disorders where our self gets lost, mm-hmm. um, it seems like for a lot of people, uh, they, they try so hard through their addiction to, to somehow nurture the self, but it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, it's just, you know, it's like uh, even with siblings, the youngest kid on the block, the youngest kid in the family can try all he can to 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 uh, be successful with the older siblings, but he never can because he's younger. And, of course, mm-hmm. as children, you know, we can't keep up with our parents because they have the power and they're older. Right. And it's a, it's a hard battle. Um, what about our relationship with, um, with addictions? We have a whole chapter on the relationship with addictions. Yeah. Well, if you grow up with addiction in the family, you've not only yet you have it modeled, and you're watching people and children are brilliant little things. Let me tell you, you're watching people who are uh, using medication to function in life, and I don't mean 
I mean, you know, to function, it's, an, it's like a, quote, normal part of their life that they do this. And, you know, I've worked with lots of people that uh, grew up in families where everybody drank. And I did an intervention once with a family, and the children were all adults. They were adult children, but they were also adults. Um, and uh, we did an intervention with the father, and any, or we were planning it. And I said, um, was explaining to them what was addiction and what was addictive behaviors and all. And they all looked at me and said, then I guess all my friends are addicts too. And I said, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for them, right. it was normal, you know, growing up with so much alcoholism in the family. And it, it right. gets normalized. And uh, so then your relationships are formed with this addiction as the center of the family. That's the other thing that, um, and I talk about that in the chapter on family of origin about um, our relationships. And if there's an alcoholic or a drug addict or if there's a, a person who's ill, handicapped, uh, dying, all of those things, that becomes the center relationship in the family that everybody is focused on. So, uh, for example, if a child has a, a sibling who has leukemia or is um, um, retarded, something like that, I don't think you use that word anymore, sorry. No, I, no, uh, I don't think you do either. I think he's developmentally disabled. <laughs> developmentally disabled then the focus can be so much on that child that the other supposedly healthy children don't get any attention or they really pay a price for it. And, of course, it's not because the parents are bad, but it is, you know, some are less, a lot are less able to see that. But, you know, it still is a result that they don't get the relationship they need with the parents or with with the family because, there's this sick child that needs to be taken care of and is often overindulged in that way, too. And well, I um, think what you had said earlier about fear being the driving force for a lot of uh, families that have somebody who's chronically ill in them. You know, if you have somebody, a child that has leukemia, the mm-hmm. fear of losing that child, the fear of doing something to harm that child starts mm-hmm. to take over. The If you have... Uh, a family member who has, you know, an addictive disorder, the fear of them overdosing, the fear of them driving drunk and killing themselves or someone else, those fears and drive the fear families of them to be angry very... is a big yeah. one. Yeah. And, and I don't think we conceptualize that well enough in treatment that, you know, these are very fearful families who are doing the best they can to cope mm-hmm. with that fear and, and to prevent mm-hmm. this disaster that they're afraid that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, the coping stuff enables it. And of course, you know, people really, most most people really don't realize that until they get educated or until the person starts to get help. They really don't. I mean, why wouldn't you pour out the liquor? Why wouldn't you (laughs) take the car keys and things like that? And then they call a cab. why wouldn't you try to keep the children quiet so they don't get upset? That kind of stuff just is very reactive and seems like what you would do. Well, it seems like a solution at the time, uh-huh, you know. Uh-huh. And 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 they're trying to survive in this very intense 
fearful environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yes. The fear, and of so course, what, the fear the addict has is very intense of losing their medication, you know, of losing their um, their stash, of not, you know, because they feel like they can't live without it. Yeah. They don't know how to stop, because if they did, they would. Right. Right. Uh, so the relationships become that you, then you're attracted to this. You either, as I've always said, you either marry, you either become one, marry one, or both. Mm-hmm. Or if you grow up, I started to say this before, and with parents or family where there is no drinking, but your grandparents were uh, had this disease, then you, your children develop it. It's just and we'll be right back to talk about that with Anne after this commercial. Yes. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Ann Salter, who has written a book called Family Stew, Our Relationship Legacy. Um, so, Ann, let's, in our final segment, let's talk about our, the relationship with money. Okay. Um, I think the relationship with money is really pretty prof- is pro- profound. Uh, a saying a lot, for a long time has been the biggest issues in uh, coupleship and relationship are money and uh, sex and children. And it's true that sex and children are also fairly pretty major issues in coupleship or in relationships. Money, I think, is we, we haven't gotten it yet, how profound it is. And I think all we need to do, for one thing, is look at, our, look at what's going on with our government. Look at what's going on with uh, a lot of the attitudes about, uh, I mean, well, of course I have my own bias, but um, looking at, it seems that an awful lot of people are only interested in money and power and not in what's good for the people. And I read a lot of um, history um European history too, and I see the same thing going back to 
the kings and queens and dukes and barons. At any rate, people get into couples get into more arguments about money. Uh, if you don't have money, uh, you're you can't be you can't be happy. Uh, we have a big issue here in our country that the more money you have, the smarter you are or the better you are, uh, which even though we see that's not true over and over, like with, uh, what's his name, the guy that went to prison, uh, and oh, other, yeah. what, pardon? Mel, it begins with an M. Bernie Mad, Madoff? Yeah, Madoff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we but every we still believe that. Just like people still believe, well, I'll get married to the right person and we'll live happily ever after. And no, you won't unless you've been able to choose somebody healthy, and you realize that coupleship is a lot of work, and that if you've got issues from childhood, they're going to get in the way. Right. At any rate, money, it's, it's really was interesting as I put stories about people with money. Uh, one of the stories in there is about someone I knew who um, it actually was someone who worked for me that would take, couldn't stand to have any money, couldn't stand it. If she had money in her pocket, she had to spend it. Well, finally, I learned the root of this was that her parents, used to argue all the time about money, and she made this decision as a child that money would never be important to her. Well, now she's got four children and a husband, a house, and she's thinking money's not important. Uh, And so they're poor all the time. I'm sorry about that. Do you you hear that buzz? No, I didn't. Oh, okay, that's good. It's just someone trying to call through, but it stopped now. Um, so she never had any money. She she had enough money, but she would spend it foolishly. And then there's people who have tremendous magical thinking about money. Now, up until a few years ago, you could do things like float checks, you know, Mm-hmm. Well, I'll mail this today, but they won't get yeah. it till Thursday, and then, then they'll hold it, whatever. Well, you can't do that anymore, you know, because of computers, and it's immediately gone. <laughs> but magical thinking, the money will come from somewhere, and I've worked with a number of people like that. It, well, where it comes from is your uh, your rent. It's a true robbing Peter to pay Paul. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, and money dysfunction causes so many arguments with people, so much unhappiness, um, and it's such a block in your life. Well, having too much isn't always good either. No, absolutely not, because then there are people like, I believe, Donald Trump, who it's just, uh, it's about, it's not about, having anything or it's about power mm-hmm. which can really corrupt and i'm yeah. not of course the first person to ever say that but yeah. it really can and about the let's see how much i can get instead well, of and being, there's a, a lack of accountability because mm-hmm. you don't end up 
with the bill payers at your door. You don't end up with uh, in bankruptcy court. You don't end up robbing Peter to pay Paul. So you just continue, and nobody holds you accountable. Mhm, mhm. That's exactly right. And I think in my chapter on money, I talk a lot and give stories about people and how it's ruined their lives. And I'm not, not, you know. Um, I don't know if it ruined Madoff's life because he's an older man now. It certainly ruined a lot of other people's lives. Yes, it ruined a lot of other people's lives. That's right. And and I think someone like that is what we call a um, sociopath. Yes, I I would think so. Yeah, which means he has no feelings for anybody. No. And when you get that mixed with money, it's really scary. And dangerous. Mm-hmm. So how do we heal our wounds? Well, you've got to be willing to go back and look at your family and identify yourself with them. And look at what it was like in your family. Look at what you felt. A lot of times there's, you need to dump a lot of anger and grief. And, and most of therapy is a lot of it's about losses, not just losses of people but losses of having had a mother that you wanted or a father. You may have had one, but, you know, they weren't really, they, they were a parent, but not really a mother or father. Uh, losses of uh, years of your life. Um, I had someone today who was talking about that, who's because of upbringing had been with somebody for 20 years. That's also abusive, but very differently abusive than what she had experienced in childhood, which was horrendous. So this looked good. And, of course, how in, and at this point it's, it's really abusive in terms of, of what she has to do to feel okay about herself. But you have to, you have to be willing to, to look at it because people get too scared to go into therapy. They... You know, if you don't have a good feeling about yourself, it can feel like it's black inside. And you, un, unknowingly, you can feel like it's going to be ugly, you know, or that you're afraid to put it out there. Uh, it's, it's, we're usually well guarded with some really heavy traumatic stuff. And yet there are some people that come in and say, I want to do this, whatever it takes. And again, that's, I think that's a piece of what we're born with. Is there anything else that people can do to heal? Uh, If they're in a hurtful relationship, in a toxic relationship, take a time out and find some kind of mentor to look at yourself and at the relationship. Whether it, of course, therapy is the best thing, but find some kind of mentor and support to look at it. Because if you're in a toxic relationship, it is never going to change unless, and of course, this is nothing new to people have heard this over and over, but we can't change anyone but ourselves. But we can Um, change ourselves. Right. The only person we have power over is ourselves. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only person we have power over is ourselves. Yes. And how can people and sometimes um, we get don't your have enough or... power because because we don't know ourselves. 
Okay. How can people contact you? Uh, my, uh, they can look on the website, which is Center for Self Discovery dot net. At oh, I'm sorry. Oh no. Uh, that's my email. Okay. Okay, the so they can email you at Center for Self Discovery dot net. Okay. They can, my website is Center for Self-Discovery at Comcast.net. Okay. Um, Thank you for being a guest today and for talking to us about relationships because it really is the foundation of everything we are and do. Yes, it is. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, I, just before we close, I just want to uh, let all of our people in our audience know about um, this I just found out about. It's a sober vacation. Um, you can check it out at uh, www.travelsober.com, and it's a cruise from Alaska from San Francisco to Alaska via Vancouver. And if you want to learn more about this sober cruise, um, you can uh, go to travelsober.com. So have a great week, everybody. And thank you again, Anne, for um, being a guest on our show today. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.